podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to Two Footed Podcast. It is Wednesday, the 30th of December, and we are brought to you, as always, by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, so do check out their services at LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We've got quite a bit to get through today. There is a fair bit of news. There was obviously five games last night. And we've got some transfer stuff to cover. So we'll start straight away with Arsenal 1, Brighton and Hull Albion 0. Back-to-back wins for the Gunners. They may have turned the corner a little bit. Once again, uh, Mikel Arteta showing faith in some of his young players, keeping the Saka, Smith-Rowe, Martinelli trio behind the striker. Now this time it was Lacazette rather than Ob- or it was it was Aubameyang rather than Lacazette, but Lacazette would come on and score the goal. This was a decent game of football, to be fair. Uh, both sides not at what you would call full strength, obviously. For Arsenal, no Gabriel at the back, no Thomas Partey in midfield, and then you know the the attack has been changed around, but. I have to say, Saka and Smith-Rowe are definitely holding their spots based on merit right now. And I think Martinelli's one of the most talented young players in the country. I think they paid $7 million for him when they brought him in from Brazil. He is a huge, huge talent. Arsenal, very, very lucky to have those three. And you sort of look at it and think, if, if they can just keep that, that trio developing, you know, Pepe will have to play quite a bit because they paid so much money for him. And that's fine because he's a good player. If they bring in one more in January, one more creator in that line, maybe they should just stick with this formation, this 4-2-3-1 that they've been playing. Because the 3-4-3 wasn't working for them. The 4-3-3 wasn't working for them. They have the players well suited to this shape. I still think they need a right back, a right side centre back, and one more in midfield to partner Partey for the long term look. But all things considered, I do think 4-2-3-1 might suit them a little bit better. It allows them to get more attackers on the field. allows them to get some more creativity on the field in the form of Smith-Rowe. And like I say, back-to-back wins for Arsenal is huge. Uh, pushes them all the way up to 13th position. They're only one point behind Wolves. They're only three behind West Ham, who are 10th. So you would have to think that they will start to lift the pressure a little bit off Arteta. And hopefully, for him, they'll continue to pick up results. Now, next up for them is West Brom. That's a game they will expect to win. They follow that with Palace at home, then Newcastle at home, then a trip away to Southampton, and then Manchester United at home. Of, of course, they beat United away in, in the in the corresponding fixture. So, you would look at that and think there's there's three wins there. West Brom, Palace, and Arsenal. And maybe they can take a draw away to Southampton. And then that United game. I mean, if they even took a draw from that game, if they could take 11 points from the next 15 available, 
that would be massive in terms of getting them back in the mix for a Europa League spot. And I think that's the aim for this year. As I said at the start of the season, I think top six is the aim. And even though they had a disastrous start to the season, and they haven't been good, it needs to be said, because the league is so condensed, because nobody has really been exceptional this year, nobody has separated them from the pa- themselves from the pack, it does leave it open for Arsenal to climb their way back into the European mix. I mean, I was only talking the other day about how they were only, what, three points clear of Burnley? Well, now they're only six points behind Chelsea, who sit in sixth place. These things can easily turn around. Chelsea are in terrible form at the minute. Arsenal, seven points from the last five games is is a vast improvement on what they took from the previous five. So if they can continue to build on that and they can continue to grow and they can take advantage of the fact they do have a favourable January. I don't want to say easy because no no run of games is easy this season, but it's certainly a favourable January. Why couldn't they get themselves back in the European mix? Like, there's absolutely no reason. They'll probably make a couple of moves in January. And if Arteta is starting to figure things out, that's that's going to be huge for them as well. For Brighton, it's another disappointing result. Uh, leaves them 17th, only two points clear of Fulham, who have a game in hand. Now, that game in hand is against Spurs and is in doubt because Fulham have had an outbreak of COVID as well, by the sounds of things. Um, Sheffield United also reported that they'd had some positive tests. Now, we'll get to them in a few minutes, but that's three clubs now with outbreaks. Um, we know that Newcastle had quite a bad one a few weeks ago. Things are starting to spread a little bit, and that's a little bit concerning. And Sam Allardyce has been out and said that he thinks maybe a, a circuit break uh, to just allow things to settle down a bit might be a good idea. Again, we'll get to Sam, but he might not be wrong, even though I, I don't think he's necessarily speaking from you know a good of everybody sort of viewpoint. I think he might be speaking from a good of him and his club viewpoint. Um, for Brighton, things don't get particularly easy from here. They've got Wolves next. Then they've got Man City away. Then they've got Leeds away. Then Fulham at home in what is now a huge game. And then they end the month with Spurs. And then they start the following month with Liverpool away. I mean, it is a very, very tough run of games for Brighton. And things are starting to look a little bit shaky there. I was obviously very high on them in the summer until they didn't do what they meant to do, which was get a striker in and get themselves uh, someone else to play in in the wing-back spot because uh, Dan Byrne there is just painful to watch. It is an atrocity watching a man who's 6'7", play as a wing-back. This game was was decent football, but nothing much to talk about. Arsenal, I thought, deserving winners on the night. And Brighton, you know, just work to be done for Brighton. Um, Good to see Davy Proper back starting, though, which which was a plus. And really nice to see Alexis McAllister get a start, although starting him with, with Johan Bikesh means they basically started without a striker, which, again, is just a strange thing to do. Yves Basima, best player on the pitch. He is going to attract some massive interest next summer. There are going to be top, top clubs looking at Yves Basima uh, when it comes to the summer transfer window. After that, we had Southampton against West Ham. Nil-nil draw on the night. 
uh, Southampton without Ralph, Ralph Hasenhutl, who's at home uh, in self-isolation, having come into contact with somebody who has COVID. So a big blow for them not to have their manager. But this game was fairly evenly balanced. Both teams created some decent chances. Danny Ings had a lovely goal chalked off because of a, an offside against Che Adams. Um, there was that unfortunate and kind of scary moment where Craig Dawson attempting to half volley the ball volleyed Che Adams in the head, uh, escaped a serious punishment. And I don't know what to make of the situation. He is looking at the ball. He does have eyes only for the ball, but it is still dangerous play. Um, apparently VAR didn't even look at it. So I don't know what to make of that. Um, Interesting that Craig Dawson would be starting and Issa Diop is still sitting on the bench. You would have to think that Issa Diop is going to be available in January, or at least he is going to be asking to become available in January. West Ham made some changes, changed to a 4-1-4-1. Yarmolenko started, Lanzini started, Fornals was back in the team, Dawson and Fredericks came into the defence, which shows they do have a decent bit of depth there. And I said in the summer... They didn't need to rebuild. They needed to build on what they had. They had some good quality players there. And obviously they've had uh, you know, a, a good half of the season so far. Uh, David Moyes is doing a, a very good job. For Southampton, uh, they went with largely the same team. Jenepo came in, but other than that, it was pretty much the same as the... Uh, Danny Ings was back, of course, which was huge for them. But uh, other than that, they kept more or less the same team that played in, in the last game. And... Um, I think a draw was the fair result. I genuinely do. I, I don't think either team could be too upset with the results. Um, both teams had eight shots. Both had three on target. It happened had more of the ball, but they didn't use it a whole lot. And if anything, better for West Ham late on. So, you know, a toss-up of a game and a toss-up of a result. Um, in terms of the table, then, Southampton are ninth and West Ham are tenth. Southampton's next couple of games, they've got Liverpool... On Monday, then they go to Leicester, then they go to Leeds, then they've got Arsenal at home, and then they end the month with Aston Villa. So it's difficult. There's points there to be had, but it is a difficult run of games, and it will really uh, test their credentials as a top-half team for the season. West Ham, obviously, like I said, stay 10th. They have Everton away next on Friday. That's a very difficult game because Everton are in great form. Then they've got Burnley at home, then West Brom at home, then Palace away, and then Liverpool at home. So a mix of opposition, a mix of league table position, you know, two of the top four, but also three teams below them, two that are well below them in West Brom and Burnley. They should be confident of taking some points from that and hopefully maintaining their their own top half push, do I do think. Over the course of the season, they probably end up in the bottom half of the league. Um, I, th- I think a 12th to 13th finish is likely for them, uh, just based on how everybody else is performing and and the level of the squad and the level of the players involved. Um, moving on then to the performance of the night by Leeds United. 5-0 winners away to West Brom. Romain Sayers set them on their way with one of the strangest own goals you'll ever see. Uh, received the ball about 20 yards from his own goal, turned and went to knock it back to the goalkeeper. And in fairness, if the goalkeeper had been stood where you would expect the goalkeeper to be stood, it lands at his feet and he's able to take a touch and clear it. However, Sam Johnson had tried to preempt things and he'd moved to give Sayers a better angle. 
and unfortunately there was just a miscommunication and the ball hops into the net and everybody stands looking very confused at each other and uh, it's not a good start for, for West Brom, not a good start for Big Sam, but maybe it's punishment for parking all the buses at Anfield and maybe he didn't have any left for this game. Um, Alioski made a two with an absolute rocket of a finish into the top corner. Jack Harrison made a three with a really tidy finish. And Rodrigo, with the aid of a deflection, made it four before half time. Rafinha wrapping things up in the second half with a gorgeous goal. Really, really good goal. He is a quality player. That's a great buy for them. And he's really starting to find his own. I think there's some really promising link up play between him and Rodrigo as the two right sided players in that midfield four that plays ahead of Calvin Phillips. Um, Leeds look great. They, they looked great in this game. And it was two fingers to all who had questioned them after the, the walloping they took at Old Trafford. And as I've seen a couple of journalists say, and I think they're absolutely right, when you're a club like Leeds, you have the talent to stay in the Premier League. You can do it one of two ways. You have the talent and the resources. Behind door A, you can appoint Sam Allardyce, a Roy Hodgson, a Tony Pulis, a Neil Warnock, a David Moyes, a Martin O'Neill type of manager. And you can scrape and claw your way to 39, 40 points. You'll get walloped a couple of times along the way, but you'll win enough games, 1-0 and 2-1, and eke out enough draws that you will survive. It's not going to be fun. The football's not going to be enjoyable. The players won't enjoy it. The fans won't enjoy it. But you will keep yourself in the Premier League. The other way you can do it is you can go and you can play a swashbuckling, attacking style of football. And yes, you might get walloped more often than you would with your dour agricultural football. But you will wallop teams more often and you will win more games. You might have less draws, but you will win more games. But it's fun. Every game is an adventure. Every Leeds game this season has been really entertaining. Every single one of them. The Burnley 1-0 at the weekend, the draw with City, the Everton game, the the low-scoring games, they've all been really entertaining. The football has been fantastic. Even when they got walloped by United, Leeds played great football. Because they were so open, United played great football. And Leeds are going to be absolutely fine this season. Leeds are going to stay up more than comfortably. They'll get 45, 48 points, maybe even 50. They're going to be absolutely fine. And they're going to enjoy doing it. They have 23 points so far from 16 games. Let's say they take another three by the time they get to 19 games. That's 26. Double that over the course of the season. That'd be 52 points. 52 points is absolutely brilliant for your first season in the Premier League. Even if they just got 45 points, what would be a great result for your first season back in the Premier League after 16 years. They've won three of their last five. They've won back-to-back games. Now, admittedly, they did get lucky against Burnley, but, you know, they've scored 30 goals, which I think only three teams in the league have scored more. 
Yeah, Liverpool, United and Chelsea have scored more. Now, they have conceded 30, and only West Brom have conceded more, although Palace have conceded just one less. And Palace are managed by Roy Hodgson. So Hodgson is the perfect example. And they have some of the player, the types of players who could play the way Leeds do. But they're four points behind Leeds. They've conceded only one goal less, but they've scored ten less. Both of them have lost seven games. The difference is Leeds have won seven and drawn two, whereas Palace have won five and drawn four. Because Leeds are brave. And Leeds don't care who you are. Leeds don't care about your reputation. We saw on the opening day of the season, they rocked up to Anfield, looked Liverpool square in the eye, and punched them in the face. And then punched them in the face again. And Liverpool had a real scrap on their hands. Liverpool didn't help themselves with some of the defensive errors. But Leeds did not give them a minute's rest. And that's how they've been with every team this season. Yes, they've gotten beaten along the way. But they're always going to lose games. They're a newly promoted team. It wouldn't matter how they play. And if you look at their results over the season, lost to Liverpool, everybody expected them to. Beat Fulham, beat Sheffield United. Sheffield finished ninth last season. Um, drew at Man City at home as a great result. Lost to Leeds. Oh, sorry, lost, lost to Leeds. They lost to themselves. Lost to Wolves. Wolves have finished in, in European positions a couple of times. Wolves are a really good team. It's not a surprise that they would lose to Wolves. They walloped Aston Villa, who are having a great season. They did get thumped by Leicester, but Leicester are in the top four. You would expect a top four team to beat a newly promoted team. The hammering they took at Palace is the worst result they've had all season. They got a draw against Arsenal. They went and beat Everton, who are also in the top four, having a really good season. That was a, a great result. Lost to Chelsea. They're expected to lose to Chelsea. They're newly promoted. Chelsea have spent, what's that squad worth? It must be worth the better part of a billion quid. They spent $240 million in the summer. Lampard has spent nearly $300 million in total, and that doesn't include the $60 million gift he got when he took over and Christian Pulisic was just waiting for him with a bow on him. Like They're expected to lose. To Chelsea. Uh, they lost at home to West Ham. That's one they will be disappointed with. They went and they hammered Newcastle. They got hammered by United, but United are another team that have spent a billion quid. Like, United are expected to beat Leeds. Uh, they beat Burnley, and then last night they go and they wall up West Brom. Like, other than that Palace game, I don't see a result that I class as disappointing for them, but I see a couple of really good wins against Everton, against Villa. You know, I don't see the issue with how Leeds are playing. I don't see why anyone would criticise them. I think they're the most fun team in the league. And I think we should all embrace Bielsa while we have the opportunity to watch him. Watch his team. Because he won't be in the Premier League for a whole bunch of years. He does seem very content and very happy with life at Leeds. So maybe this is where he will settle and he'll do three or four, excuse me, three or four more years. But just as easily, he could leave in the summer because he only signs one-year contracts. But embrace everything that this team has to offer because we haven't seen a team come up into the Premier League and do this. We've seen the likes of Swansea come up and, and uh, uh, Bournemouth under Eddie Howe come up and play some nice football. 
um, and be possession-based, but never like this, never to this extent. We've never seen a team come up and just endlessly attack the way Leeds attack. Now, there is a little bit of controversy, a little bit of bad news for Leeds. Um, after the game last night, their official club Twitter account tweeted out um, a clip of the coverage on Amazon Sport, uh, Amazon Prime, um, where Karen Carney was doing punditry, and she she made a comment that COVID helped them get promoted last year. Now, they kind of took what she said out of context, and she didn't word what she was saying the best. However, she does have a valid point. It's not that she's necessarily right, but she does make a valid point. Let's look back at the last four lead seasons, okay? So the 16-17 season, in leads at one point in week 28 were third. They were fourth by week 38, fifth by week 42, ended up finishing seventh and missing the playoffs because of sheer exhaustion. The players were falling over. They, they just couldn't run anymore. Um, and they didn't win. They won one game from their last seven. And that cost them a playoff spot and a potential return to the Premier League. Um, and Gary Monk himself came out and said that the players were exhausted. So you move into the 17-18 season. Uh, this is the season with Thomas Christensen and Paul Heckenbottom, where they finished 13th. But if you look at their season, they were 7th in week 27. And then the wheels fell off the bus because, again, they were just shattered. They'd been in the playoff mix of the first 26 weeks of the season. They'd spent 17 of them in the playoffs positions. They'd been in the top two for four weeks. And then they got tired because they had a smaller squad and they fell apart. 18-19, the first season under Bielsa. I mean, just go back and look. They were first or second for all bar five weeks leading up to week 32. And in fact, if you go all the way out to week 42, they were first or second for all bar nine weeks. And of those nine weeks, they were fourth for one and third for eight. But in week 42, they were second. They were coming up automatically. And then they lose three of their last four, end up in the playoffs, and they bottle it in the playoffs, losing to Derby, having won the first leg. And their fans end up with a bit of egg on their face, having shouted and sang, stop crying, Frank Lampard. Um, but the point is, exhaustion got them at the end of that season as well. And then you look at last season. Now, football stopped for them after week 37. Okay? Now, they were first. But they got a nice break at that point and were able to kind of refresh and re-energize. And then they came back and they were brilliant. They were absolutely brilliant. They lost the first game back after the restart. And then won six of seven of their last eight, seven of their last eight, and ended up winning the division by ten points. So, yes, they won the division comfortably. Yes, they won it by ten points. But based on the previous three seasons, there is enough evidence to suggest that it is possible—not certain, but possible 
that Leeds could have collapsed again because they'd done it three times in a row. Now, you can argue they had a better squad and a deeper squad, and maybe that's true. I, I don't think they had a deeper squad, maybe a better squad. But, I mean, they'd lost a couple of important players, um, Kimar Roof and uh, Jack Clark, who'd been really important the year before. But the point is, while Karen Carney didn't word what she was saying, ideally, for the official Leeds Twitter account to clip that, and send it out and open Karen Carney up to abuse is disgraceful. And it's disgusting. And it wouldn't have happened if it was a male pundit. It would not have happened if it was a male pundit. They would not have had the testicular fortitude to do it if it was a male pundit. Whoever is running that official Leeds Twitter account needs to be hauled over the coals this morning. Now... Their owner has come out and sort of doubled down on it like a bit of a twat. But the fact of the matter is they would not have done that if it was a male. And they could have framed it a lot better. They couldn't they didn't need to just be really arrogant about it and say, Oh, won the league won the league by ten points, higher prime video sport or whatever they said. Idiots like, absolute idiots. There's no need for that. We sit every week and we watch Tim Sherwood, who came out last night with the line, injuries are all in players' heads. Right, well, let me go and tell Raul Jimenez that he doesn't have a fractured skull. He's just imagining it. Let me tell Virgil van Dijk, it's all right, mate. Your knee's fine. You're just a bit soft is all. Get your head straight and you'll be okay. No, no, Joe Gomez. The surgery you went through wasn't horrific. Your knee's absolutely fine. It's all in your head, mate. Get back out in the pitch. And he gets paid for that. We see Danny Mills and Danny Murphy and Kenny Cunningham. We... Oh. Garth Crooks with his team of the week saying Joel Matip had a few ropey moments against Spurs, a game he didn't even play in. Yet this type of dross doesn't get called out and Karen Carney making a valid point but just not framing it correctly and it getting clipped up and she is getting pillared by morons on social media now thankfully a lot of people have come out in her defense and a lot of people within the profession have come out in her defense but jeff stelling of sky immediately jumps on the bandwagon and 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 has a little dig at her jeff stelling the same guy who was asking about um what XG was recently and making his dad jokes part of the gammon and gravy brigade I mean he should be ashamed of himself he should be absolutely ashamed of himself but I don't think he will be because I think he's just that old white privileged clown who thinks that because he's been on TV for years he's good at his job but he's not the same fella had a tweet about Tony Pulis getting sacked. Now I'm I'm a purveyor of Tony Pulis propaganda, but in jest, I mean the guy plays dreadful football and genuinely isn't a good manager, but he got sacked after ten games, one win in ten games. Stelling was outraged and said it was probably because he marched into the office and told the owner a few home truths. Well, fair enough. But let's consider, 
in any walk of life, if you are underperforming to the level that Tony Pulis was underperforming at Sheffield Wednesday, and you march into your boss's office, and you tell him a few home truths, you're going to get sacked. If Jeff Selling, who is dreadful at his job, I will say, marches into the office of his paymaster at Sky and tells him what's what, he's out in his ear. So to criticise the owner for not putting up with underperforming Tony Pulis, giving him dog's abuse, or telling him what needs to be done, or telling him what's what, of course he's going to sack him. Why wouldn't he? As he would in any walk of life. It's it, madness. But Gammon and Gravy insist that he must defend the great British manager. But Karen Carney, and I, I asked a few people who've worked with her last night, because I wanted to know my facts about her. And apparently she is incredibly diligent in her research. She puts so much effort into being prepared for every appearance. And and by all accounts, all of the female pundits do. Whereas their male counterparts don't bother because they don't need to. But every time Karen Carney or, or any of the other women are on TV, they have to do well. They have to overperform just to be accepted, just to get asked back again. Tim Sherwood can go on and spout nonsense week after week. Robbie Savage has been getting things wrong about football on multiple outlets for years. Years. Robbie Savage is never right about anything. He says ridiculous things all the time. And he still gets a fortune from a bunch of different outlets. Funny side, um, Robbie Savage once blocked me on Twitter, on my old account, for he, he was criticizing some young player who'd spent money on a, on a car or a house or something. I can't remember what it was. And I tweeted him saying, that's a bit rich coming from you who bought a Ferrari as soon as you got your move to Leicester. He quote tweeted it. And said, this didn't happen, why tell lies? So, in response, I sent him five different newspaper articles. With the the story of him buying a Ferrari, having moved to Leicester. He tweeted back. Now, I was getting pelters from his minions at this point. He tweets back, uh, unsourced rubbish. So I tweeted him back with two of them again, one of them quoting Martin O'Neill. And I said, this one quotes your former boss. And the other one quoted his mother. And I said, this one quotes your mum. And he blocked me. <laughs> now, I don't know if he just didn't read and he saw this one quotes your mum and thought I was trying to be funny. But I wasn't. Robbie Savage moved to Leicester and bought a Ferrari. That is fact. His mother and his manager confirmed it. And he was criticizing a young player. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to call him on it. And he got upset about it. And he gets away with that type of thing. He does it all the time. He's on TV talking absolute rubbish. Tim Sherwood does the same. Like I said, Danny Murphy, Danny Mills, Kenny Cunningham. I mean, most of the pundits are... Rio Ferdinand, I mean, most of them are absolutely dreadful. Michael Owen and Paul Scholes don't have a personality between them. And yet Karen Carney, who comes on prepared 
with researched information is getting absolute dogs abuse. She has to put in more effort and perform better to probably get paid substantially less and and not have a guaranteed gig next week. I mean, it just it bothers me so much because I know female journalists in the footballing industry and I see how much harder they have to work. I see how much more effort they have to put in. Not even to get equal footing with men, just to be able to see them in the distance. It's so frustrating. We're like we're okay with women presenting the TV show as long as they don't give an opinion. Like Kenny Douglas's daughter Kelly, Kelly Gates, I think it is now, Kelly Gates. She's brilliant as a presenter. But I've seen her give her opinion on football, and she does a podcast with Anfield Index sometimes. Uh, with her dad, the, the, the Dogleash family do a bit of a podcast, and it's really, really good. And she knows what she's talking about. And if you follow her on social media, the girl knows football. She knows her football. I should probably call her a woman. She's a woman. But she knows her football. There's no doubt she knows what she's talking about. And some of the best people I follow on social media are women who talk about nothing but football, and they really do know their stuff because they make sure that when they put something out there, They've properly researched it because they know that if they get something wrong, the backlash will be twice as strong as it would be against a fella. And yet, people just don't want to hear the opinion of a woman on football for whatever reason. I, I don't understand. Karen Carney played, she played for England 144 times. I think it's safe to say she knows the game. She played for Arsenal, she played for Birmingham, she played for Chelsea. I think it's safe to say she knows the game. And yes, maybe she didn't word it perfectly. But the abuse she's taken is a disgrace. And that leads United Twitter account. They should be ashamed of themselves. They should be absolutely ashamed of themselves. And before I started recording, I checked and it was still there. So I, I don't know what to what to make of that. Um, I just know that it wound me up, and I've gone completely off ta- topic and on a tangent. I do apologize, but it just it really wound me up. Um, right. Anyway, four leads. Next up, they've got Spurs away. Then they go to Brighton. So then they've got Brighton at home, then Southampton at home, away to Newcastle, and away to Leicester. So it is a tough enough month, but there's still points there to be got. The likes of Brighton. Uh, Newcastle, I think Southampton, they'll fancy the chances. That's Southampton game. You want to see some high-octane football. If you want to see the heavy metal football that Jurgen Klopp used to talk about, Southampton versus Leeds will be manic end-to-end stuff. That is going to be a cracker of a game. So 20th of January, currently scheduled for a 6pm kickoff. That is going to be an absolute belter of a game. Um, For West Brom, then, Obviously, things look a bit grim. Next up, they've got the resurgent Arsenal. Then they've got Wolves in a black country derby. Away to West Ham, home to Man City, and then Fulham. So there's a couple of games there they'll fancy themselves to pick up some points in, but it is a tough, tough run. Uh, Like I said, Big Sam has come out and called for a circuit break. Sam Allardyce says football needs a break after the Premier League returned its highest number of positive coronavirus results in a single round of tests this season. On Tuesday, the latest round of Premier League testing found 18 people had the virus, 
new coronavirus cases at Fulham mean their game against Tottenham on Wednesday night is in doubt. I'm very concerned for myself and for football in general. Now, of course, Sam is in the high-risk category because of his age. Um, so, look, maybe he's maybe he is speaking from a health point of view and for being concerned. It would also very much help him if he got a little bit of a break from West Brom getting walloped and could do a bit of work and maybe get a couple of players in. But all things considered, um, he might not be wrong. He really might not be wrong. And maybe a circuit break for two weeks, three weeks. There is there is sort of two weeks built in where they could take a two-week break and then catch the games up. The problem is with the, the European Championships and that set for the summer, which I, I genuinely think should just be binned off. I, I really do think they should be binned off. Now, if they're not, we will, of course, cover them on this podcast uh, day after day because what else are we going to cover during the summer? Um, it does also come on the back of Carl Robinson, who is the Oxford manager, saying that uh, he thinks some clubs are getting sloppy and that he knows that certain clubs are doing things slightly wrong. So that's a little bit of a concern as well. Now, it is difficult for the lower league teams because they don't have the budget to really be able to afford all the COVID testing and protocols uh, at the same level that the Premier League is doing it. So... I don't know. It is tough. It is very, very tough. Um, maybe, maybe Sam is right, and, I, and maybe, maybe it needs to happen sooner rather than later. We'll see what happens with the Fulham game tonight. Obviously, as I said, Sheffield United um, have a number of te- positive tests as well, but they went ahead with their game last night. They got beaten one nil by Burnley. Aaron Ramsdale, who I've criticised heavily and deservedly so, he's been dreadful for the most part this season. Made two of the best saves you'll ever see last night. One from Ashley Barnes, one from Chris Wood. They're both sensational saves. If you haven't seen them, go and find them. They'll be on YouTube somewhere. They're just ridiculous saves. Um, unfortunately for him, the Chris Wood save leads to a corner, which Burnley then score from a Ben Me header from a Robbie Brady uh, cross. And um, it's really unfortunate for Sheffield United, but it is another defeat. And they are now two points from 16 games, two points from a possible 48, and really and truly uh, a win is, is not going to be forthcoming for them anytime soon. They Again, they showed a decent amount of fight last night. It was a good game of football. There was there was genuinely good football played in this one. Um, Robbie Brady looked in great form last night, swung in some wonderful balls. When he is fit, he is a quality player. He really is a quality player. Um and for Burnley, it was big to overcome the absence of Dwight McNeil, who is pretty much never present in that team and is their main outlet in a wide position. But other than that, largely a full strength. Bit of a blow with Charlie Taylor having to go off injured as well. Uh, so that he could be out for a while now. So that's a, that's a disappointing one for them. But uh, another good win for Burnley. Keeps them moving in the right direction. They're still 16th, but they're only two points behind Newcastle. Newcastle do have a game in hand, but that is tonight against Liverpool. Uh, For Burnley, they have Fulham next. That's a game they'll expect to win. Then they go to West Ham. Then they have Liverpool away. Then they have Villa at home and then Chelsea away. So it's a tough month for them. They'll They'll fancy beating Fulham. I think they'll fancy a draw at West Ham. I don't know if I'd fancy them to get it, but I think they will fancy that. 
And I think they'll look maybe at that Villa game as a game they can take a point from. I don't think they'll expect too much away to Liverpool and away to Chelsea. Uh, but Sean Dyche always gets the most out of his players. Um, he's obviously going to have to hope that he gets you know some some players in in January. Uh, speaking of Burnley, uh, Chris Bowden at Bowden Knights on Twitter did have a brief exchange with him on Twitter yesterday where. Uh, I was just asking if there is plans for Burnley to spend. He says it is contingent on the takeover. He has agreed to come on the podcast at some point in January to talk about the takeover, talk about Dyche and his future, and any transfers that may or may not happen. So that's one to look forward to. Uh, he's a really good follow on Twitter. If you don't follow him, at Bowden Knights, Knights at a K. Uh, really good guy. So um, for Sheffield United, then obviously it does look it it it, it look it's, it looks like it's done. They've got Palace away, then they've got Newcastle United away, City away. It's not a, it's not a good month for them. Those last three games are horrendous. But but they will look at the next two, and they will will think maybe there's a chance to take you know a couple of points. Maybe they can get a draw at Palace. That Newcastle game, I think they'll be targeting that as a win. I really do think they'll target that as a win. Um, they do start February with West Brom at home. And if they haven't won by then, I think that's the one they will go and throw everything at to try and win. Now, at that point, they will have played 21 games. And if they haven't won in 21 games, I mean, we can just we can just write them off, probably stop talking about them. Um, and just move on from them. But I think that Newcastle game, I think that's a winnable game for them. Newcastle don't travel particularly well. I think that's a winnable game for Sheffield United. Um, and then the final game last night was Manchester United 1, Wolverhampton Wanderers 0. Uh, United left it really, really late. A 93rd minute goal from Marcus Rashford that took a big old deflection. Uh, gets them the three points. A decent game of football, must be said. Um, both teams created some half chances. Wolves really suffered from the lack of a, an out-and-out striker. They played Neto and Adama up front. and Both very good players. Neto, for me, is, is sensational. But um, he's one that's really... I think he's been great this season. I think he's been the bright spot on that team. But the lack of a, a focal point in attack really did harm them. And, you know, their, their attacks tended to bounce back when they broke down. All things considered, I think United can be very, very happy with their league form. Results, if not performances. Um, the performances have not been particularly good. But last night they did play quite well. Credit to them. Um, they made some changes. Pogba was back in next to Matic with McTominay and Fred left out. Juan Basaka came back in right back. Alex Tellez at left back. And then Greenwood, Rashford, Cavani and Bruno Fernandes as the front four again. Bruno with the assist for Rashford. I say assist. I mean, he passed the ball 50 yards to him. And then Rashford had to do a whole bunch of stuff by himself. Uh, I would ask questions over the Wolves defender who ducked out of the way of that cross and could have, or that, that long ball. I probably could have had it clear, but you know it is what it is. Wolves aren't very good defensively, despite all the praise they got and, and Henry Winter extolling the virtues of Connor Cody shouting at people uh, in the warm up. Connor Cody just isn't a good defender. It's that simple. And Henry Winter can say his form and his leadership got him into the England squad. Get into the England squad 
doesn't mean a whole lot anymore. It's, it's not based on merit. England aren't very good. They're not going to win anything. And um, Connor Cody got in because they were playing the back three and he plays the back three. He didn't get in because he's a good defender. He got in because he's used to playing the back three. And he can be an Eric Dyer's, you know, backup. Uh, nobody should be impressed by anything defensively that Wolves have done. Uh, Kian Hoiver did look great last night. And him and Ray and Aitnuri as the wingbacks was really fun. And I really enjoyed watching both of them play. Two very young players that they brought in for about £10 million each. I think the Aitnuri one is a loan with an obligation to buy. But Hoiver they bought from Liverpool. Long term, those two are going to be top, top players. And um, Wolves should be really, really excited about that. They've got lots of attacking talent. They need to get a number nine in in January. We'll get to that in a couple of minutes, but they need they need to sort something out there, and, and they need to they need to improve that defence because it's just not good enough. Um, Wolves obviously stayed twelfth, uh, sorry, dropped to twelfth after that uh, that result. They have Brighton next, then Everton at home, West Brom at home, away to Chelsea, and away to Palace. So there's points there to be had. I think they'll probably scraped their way back into the top half by the end of the season but I did say at the start of the season I thought they'd be one of the teams that would take a bit of a drop and they have I I just think maybe Nuno's hit the ceiling with this team I don't know that he can make much more of them sometimes the message just stops getting through and he seems to be a little bit too loyal to certain players and it is it is harming Wolves ability ability to progress beyond where they are in the league right now um as for United, they go up to second, um, two points behind Liverpool, despite some of the strangest form I've ever seen. Um, they've got Villa next on Friday. That is going to be a very, very tough game. Then they've got Liverpool away. Then they go to Fulham. Then Sheffield United at home and then Arsenal away. So three very tough games. Two that they will absolutely intend to to wipe the floor with the opposition, Fulham and Sheffield United. But Villa is going to be tough. Away to Liverpool will be tough. And away to Arsenal will be tough. You also have to factor in, they're due to play City in the EFL semi-final on Wednesday the 6th and then play Watford in the Cup on the 9th. But they do get a week off um, before the Liverpool game. But that City game is in doubt. And that could end up getting moved. So if that gets moved into the week between Watford and Liverpool, it's going to make things a little bit tougher for them. Um, but all things considered, United will be very happy with where they are. Uh, and rightly so. Second place is great. And um, like every time Ollie gets himself in a bit of trouble, they go on a run and they get out of the trouble. So, you know, it, it's what works for them. Um, right. I wanted to have a look at this. So, the BBC, who I steal plenty of content from, have put together, uh, with Phil McNulty as the chief writer, uh, a, just a list of what, what business does each club need to do in, in January. So, what I'm going to do in my role here as Pontificator Supreme is I'm going to go up and down this list and, and see if I agree with what they say he needs to do. Or each club needs to do. So, uh, Arsenal need creativity. That's that's an obvious one. Uh, they mentioned Emi Buendia as a possibility. 
Um, they absolutely do need creativity. They need creativity and they need another centre-back. They need a right-sided centre-back. They're the two things Arsenal need more than anything else in the January transfer window. For Villa, he says, don't expect any big moves, but he may look at his attack. I would suggest they need a centre-back more than they need anything else. Someone to partner Ezri Konza should be their biggest need. Um, Brighton and Hove Albion. Brighton owner Tony Bloom has never been a fan of investing in the January transfer market. Well, that's interesting. Because in 16-17, the year they got promoted, they bought Glenn Murray. In 17-18, their first season in the Premier League, they bought Jurgen Lacadia. In 18-19, they brought in Alexis McAllister. And in 19-20, they brought in Tariq Lamptey and made the Aaron, Moy- <coughs> the Aaron Moy deal permanent. So they have invested every January. So I think you're wrong, Mr. McNulty. I, I genuinely do. Uh, they do need to invest, and they need to invest in a striker. That's as clear as it could possibly be to everybody that they need a striker in the door. Um, Burnley, Sean Dyche would love to strengthen after working mir- miracles on a tight budget, but the big money just isn't there, and a proposed takeover has yet to materialise, so there is unlikely to be any serious movement. Um, yeah, if, um, they need the takeover for it to happen. Um, Fabian Delph apparently has been linked they do need one in midfield for sure I think they need a body at the back um, for depth and I think they need one one in a wide area an out and out right winger would be nice a right footed right winger like Jack Clark from, from Spurs I bet he's available on loan he would be ideal uh, for Chelsea it's it's all about Declan Rice for them well they still need a centre back um, they still need a goalkeeper, but they're not going to buy another goalkeeper. They need a centre-back and they need a holding midfielder. So unless they can find two Declan Rices, and they're not going to be able to buy one Declan Rice in January. So um, and that is what it is. Uh, he says, do not, do not expect any major moves from Crystal Palace. There may even be a, finally be a break from the endless specul- speculation around Wilf Zaha. Uh, they they do need more. They need they need, a young centre back would help just because all the centre backs are old and broken. They could definitely do with a. They could definitely do one more in midfield. They have been linked to Michael Aluse, and that the, this this piece actually mentions that from Reading. He is super talented and would be a great fit there. If you played him on the right with uh, Everichi Easy on the left, that would be great. Um, he says Everton are looking for right flank replacements and he mentions Isco and Semi Kadira. he should not buy Semi Kadira. he can't run anymore he also mentions Damari Gray and Deli Ali I don't see how Deli Ali would fit in how they play um, they need a right back for sure I think they need a goalkeeper but maybe Robin Olsen can finally take the position of tiny arms, but they they need a starting midfielder to upgrade on Andre Gomes, and they need a right back. That's the two biggest needs for them. Um, Fulham's rapid improvement in recent weeks means the January window does not look quite as defining for Scott Parker. Really, rapid improvement. They're eighteenth. 
They're 18th. What? What are you talking about? They absolutely need to buy in January. They need to find someone to play up front because it's clear that Parker and Mitrovic are not getting along. He doesn't fancy Mitrovic at the minute. And he needs one more in midfield. Potentially, someone who plays off the right-hand side would be ideal. They could find another Luckman type. That would be ideal. Um, The word is that Leeds are unlikely to make any moves. And that's weird because I've seen other journalists who cover Leeds suggest that they are likely to make at least one move. Um, They need... I think they need one more in centre midfield. They probably need another defender in the door. I could, they could do it buying a starting calibre left back. I also think they could do it uh, an experienced goalkeeper, not necessarily as a starter, but somebody that could mentor Melier. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, would Ben Foster be willing to make that move? Step up from the championship. I know he starts for Watford, but you know, one last run in the Premier League. Um, Brendan Rodgers has spoken about developing the players he has after summer spending. Brendan Rodgers will also, will also always look to buy. Always. Um, I would be surprised if they don't add a left-footed left-back. I think they could probably do it looking for another striker as well to, you know, give Vardy a bit more rest. Um, Liverpool, it, it, it'll all be nonsense. Liverpool need a centre-back, we know that. Um, it do, he doesn't say whether he thinks Liverpool are going to sign anybody, but I, I think Liverpool will sign a centre-back. Uh, it looks like it could be a quiet January at the Etihad, although Pep Guardiola may be tempted to explore improvements at left-back if there's a chance. Mendy has been inconsistent while Zinchenko is not quite top class. It's because Zinchenko isn't the left back. He's a midfielder. They do need a left back. That's absolutely true. That's, that is probably their biggest need. They also need a left winger. They really, really need a left winger. An out and out left footed left winger. And then they're probably going to need to address the striker situation and find a long term successor to Aguero. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer wants to strengthen in central defense and in the wide attacking positions. It is doubtful if he will get through that. That's because they don't trust him yet. They don't know that he's going to be the one. He, Jaden Sancho remains a long-term target. Just give it up, lads. Just give it up. They're not going to sign Jaden Sancho. Um, they need a centre-back and a holding midfielder. The same things they needed all summer. A centre-back and a holding midfielder. They're not going to do them in January because ownership don't have the faith in Oli. And Oli's on a six-month contract at the moment. Regardless of when his contract ends, he is on a six-month deal at the moment. And if he doesn't deliver by the end of the season, he will be out the door. If he does deliver and they finish in the top four, he'll get to spend more money. If he doesn't, he'll be out the gap and they'll have someone new in. Uh, Newcastle, uh, who knows how the mid-season will work out on Mike Ashley's watch. Yeah, it's very hard with Newcastle. They do need to bring in a couple. Um, a right-back might be an option. Um Maybe a body at centre-back to just freshen things up a little bit. The, all things considered, they have a decent enough squad there, but I think a right-back and, and maybe a centre-back would be of of help. Sheffield United will be looking at loan deals, yeah, because no player is really going to want to go there knowing that they're almost certainly going down. Left-side centre-back, absolutely a must. They should have bought an extra midfielder in the summer, like, people were suggesting, and by people I mean me, uh, because they've looked really poor in midfield this season. And with Sander Berger out, they look even worse. 
Uh, Southampton may look to add quality and depth at left back. Again, this is another club that Brandon Williams has been linked with because he's been linked with every club in the league. And the big activity for them may come around new deals for Danny Ings and Ryan Bertrand. I think they could do with getting one more forward in who's a bit more around the Danny Ings level, maybe slightly above Che Adams' level, or slightly even just below Che Adams' level that can be developed. Uh, They also need one more attacking midfielder who can play out to end. Other than that, the squad's pretty good. Uh, For Spurs, the big question is whether Deli Ali will stay or go. Uh, and Mourinho has made, has been linked with a potential move for Semi Kadira. He can't run. He can't run. Why would you buy him to the Premier League in 2020? The guy hasn't been able to run in about three years. Why would anybody want to buy Semi Kadira at this point? He's 33. He's played zero games this season. Last season he played 12 in the Serie A. The season before he played 10. He hasn't played over 20 games since 2018, 2017-18. He just, he can't run. Why would you waste your money? He's 33 and he's had like five different knee injuries. Stop linking Semi Kadira to Premier League clubs. He needs to go play in America or some league where he can just walk. He can't run. Um, Spurs don't need a whole lot of much. I do think a starting centre-back is still their biggest need, and they probably need a long-term successor to Lloris. But, and because Jose seems to love a powerful box-to-box midfielder, they could do it an upgrade on Sissoko, who's just not very good. Um, but I don't expect much from Spurs in, in, in January, um, because I think I think they'll have their, their eye on people for the summer. Like, I think Schrodinger is probably still a, a, a target for the summer. Um, We'll have to wait and see. West Brom, I mean, yeah, they're desperate for reinforcements. They need uh, two centre-backs, probably a left-back. They need one more in midfield. I mean, they need everything. They really do need everything. But this is great. Uh, Could he be tempted to look at St. Tucson? Hopefully not for West Brom fans. He's been linked with Andy Carroll already. Um, And, I mean... Why? Why would anybody buy Andy Carroll? I've not been... I don't mean to disparage the lad, but why would anybody anybody pay money to buy Andy Carroll in 2020? And this is not going to be a good investment, is it? Let's have a look at his career. So far this season, he's played seven games. It's decent. Last season, he played 21 in all competitions. Missed half the season injured. The season before, he played 14 in all competitions. The season before that, he played 18 in all competitions. The season before that, 22 in all competitions. Before that, 32 in all competitions. Before that, 16. Before that, 16. Sorry, 18. No, 16, 16. Um, and before that, 26. So, since the 2011-2012 season, where he played 47 games for Liverpool. And was awful, by the way. Uh, goal in the cup semi-final against Everton or not. He was awful. Since then, Andy Carroll has played over 30 games in all competitions once. He has played over 20 games in the Premier League twice. 
I mean, that's disastrous. It really is disastrous. Why would anyone part with money for him? And pay him wages? He's gonna sell, he's gonna be injured half the time. Unless you can get him on a free, on a li- literally a pay as you play, we will give you X amount of money per minute that you spend on the pitch. You just, you couldn't bring him into your club. You couldn't. It's not like the goal returns great when he plays either. No goals this season, none last season, one the year before, three the year before that, seven the year before that. Literally, four and a half seasons, Andy Carroll has scored 11 goals. No, you, you couldn't have him in your club. You couldn't. You'd just, you'd just be paying him to be injured. Uh, and finally, uh, we go to West Ham and Wolves. Uh, West Ham would like to add firepower and have been linked with Oli Giroud. Uh, Chelsea won't let him go. Um, they Yeah, they were linked with Josh King in the summer. That might make sense. And they may even get an offer from Declan Rice. They will surely turn that down. Uh, they could do with a left-back. They could do with a centre-back. And probably, yeah, a, a poacher-type striker would be of help. Someone that could play with Haller. Now, I will say, Luka Jovic is rumoured to be very, very available from Real Madrid. And if, if if Moisey could find it in him to play two up front, Luka Jovic and, and Sebastian Haller tore the Bundesliga apart together. So, on a loan with an option to buy, it could well be worth your while giving that one a risk. Or giving that one, you know, a, a chance. Um. Another club that need a striker is obviously Wolves. And, um, yeah, they need to get a striker in. Uh, Phil asks, would Liverpool's Divock Origi fit the bill? No. No, absolutely not. He would not fit the bill. Um, He's not very good. He doesn't score enough goals. They need to get in a striker. I think Diego Costa looks like one that could land there, but I think they need one more as well. Costa on a six-month deal to get you past the point where you know Jimenez comes back is what you do, but maybe buy another one that can score goals as well. Um, and they need they need a centre back. They absolutely need a centre back because that defence is not good enough. Um, we'll wrap up with some gossip. What I am going to do probably maybe tomorrow because tomorrow will be quite enough day. What I'm going to do tomorrow then is I'm going to do what I did in the summer. One signing for each Premier League club. One potential signing. One one player that I think makes sense would be realistic and within budget for each Premier League club. Because other than, you know, the gossip and um, talking about the games that are on tonight, which is uh, Tottenham against Fulham, which is in doubt, and Liverpool-Newcastle. Uh, there's not a whole lot else for tomorrow. So that's what I'm going to do tomorrow. Um, yeah, that'll be fun. Transfer stuff's always fun. Um, right, we'll wrap up with some gossip. Uh, Arsenal have made Isco their number one target when the transfer window opens. The Gunners who want to sign the player on loan face competition from, from Sevilla. I would guess he would rather stay in Spain, but Arsenal might be able to offer more money. I wouldn't want him in my team. But uh, he could help Arsenal in the short term, for, for sure. Uh, 
Liverpool's midfielder Ginny Wijnaldum will decide whether to sign a new contract as Ronald Koeman remains hope, hopeful of persuading him to join Barcelona. Um, those close to Wijnaldum say he is desperate to stay at Anfield, according to the Liverpool Echo. I don't know if that's true or if that's just propaganda. I think I think if he was going to stay, he probably would have signed the contract already. I think if there was... Uh, you know, there's been talk that they're, they're haggling over an extra year. If that was the case, Liverpool would just give him the extra year. The age thing that people have said is nonsense because they gave James Milner a two-year deal when he was 33. Wijnaldum on a four-year deal would only be 34 when he finishes the deal, which is a year younger than Milner would be when he finishes his. Milner might even be 36 when his deal runs out. Either way, yeah, he will actually. Milner will be 36. They gave him the two-year deal at 34. Uh, either way, Wijnaldum is a much better player than Milner. Much more valuable. So if there was a case that it was down to a year, Liverpool would just give him the year and everything would be fine. Manchester City remain hopeful of signing Leo Messi, despite him saying he hopes to play in the United States. And there are rumours, I think I mentioned them yesterday, that him and Suarez are planning to go to Inter Miami in 2022. Maybe City could sign him on a one-year contract. I mean, it would be... It'd be fun, it'd be interesting, and maybe that's what you just do. Give him a one-year deal with an option for a second, and if he takes it, great, and if he doesn't, he goes, and it is what it is. You get them on a free anyway, so you know you can't cry too much. Um, Maurizio Pochettino is expected to try to sign a number of Tottenham players, including England midfielder Deli Ali and French goalkeeper Hugo Lloris, if he is confirmed as Paris Saint-Germain's next boss. I mean, He's not even in the job yet, and Eurosport haven't signed the players. I mean, they'd make sense, but let's just pump the brakes a little bit on on all of this. Uh, Wolves could turn to Diego Costa as a replacement for Raul Jimenez. You did hear that here first. You saw it first on my Twitter timeline. Um, So, yeah, the times, you're welcome. Um, Manchester United's Dutch defender, Timothy Fosu-Mensa, is a target for Marseille and... Hurt to Berlin in January. I don't understand why he's not getting uh, more more game time at United. I think he's a really promising defender. Uh, there's Premier League clubs that could do with him. Burnley could do with an upgrade at right back, like a long term upgrade at right back, and he would be that. He might be a little bit too foreign, a little bit too exotic for Mister Dyche, you know, who likes his players to be from Yorkshire, um, but. It, it is what it is. It, it, I think he'd be a really good fit, and Dice should make the most of him. Um, Tottenham are interested in Marcel Sabitzer of RB Leipzig. He'd be a great signing for them. I don't really know where he would fit, but you'd find a way to make him fit, and he is he is fantastic. I would love to see him in the Premier League. Arsenal are currently unlikely to rekindle their interest in Hossam Auer when the January transfer window opens. Well, Leon are doing fairly well in in Lyon, so I'm not sure he'd be willing to leave that to jump to um, to jump to Arsenal, given where they are. Uh, maybe in the summer, but not now. Um, Manchester City's Dutch winger Jordan Braff is being pursued by Borussia Dortmund. Well, the last time they pursued a City winger, it worked out fairly well for themselves. Didn't work out well for City. City should, City should really be hanging on to these good young players. Um, Liverpool have ended their interest in Milan Skriniar, having been put, been put off by their 54 million uh, 
the 54 million pound asking price by Inter Milan. Uh, Liverpool never had interest in him to begin with. That is an absolute nonsense made up by some clown in Italy who just has nothing better to be doing with himself. Um, Chelsea Spanish fullback Marcus Alonso is set to return to Spain and join Atletico Madrid on loan in the January transfer window. He's not played for the Blues since 26th of September. Yeah, look, it was bad enough when, when Simeone signed one fullback who can't defend in uh, Kieran Trippier. I really struggle to see him signing a second who can't defend. That would be very un-Simeone-esque. Um, Newcastle are keen on Manchester United fullback Brandon Williams, who, again, everybody's keen on him. While their uh, their own fullback, DeAndre Yedlin, is being pursued by Trabzonspor. Well, De- DeAndre Yedlin, they should have gotten rid of years ago because he can't play football. He's just a sprinter who goes very fast in straight lines and falls over if asked to turn in any particular direction. Crystal Palace expect January interest in Wilf Zaha after his impressive start to the season. And AC and Milan are thought to be keen on the 28-year-old. He would actually fit how Milan play quite well. Um, I don't know if Milan would have the money. I really don't know if Milan would have the money to afford him. Uh, Leicester manager Brendan Rodgers does not expect to send anybody in January. I, I would bet Brendan is spoofing because Brendan spoofs the media all the time. Former England and Juventus boss Fabio Capello says he was he would only swap Paolo Dybala for Harry Kane. Yeah, I mean, if if you are like Dybala is that special, he is a, a great. So if you're going to be getting rid of him or selling him on, you would want to get something great back. So you'd either get a massive bag of money or someone like Harry Kane. You don't want to be swapping for Paul Pogba. Let's just say that. Uh, Shamrock Rovers, Republic of Ireland midfielder Jack Byrne, who has been linked with Stoke, Preston and Nottingham Forest, is expected to move to Cyprus rather than England. Why would he go to Cyprus? That doesn't make sense to me. This is something to do with Mick McCarthy, isn't it? Because Mick McCarthy's gone to Cyprus. Mick McCarthy is currently manager of Applewell in Nicosia. I mean, if the big bag of money is big enough, maybe, but it would want to be a big bag of money. I know life in Cyprus would be awesome, but I mean, surely that, that move is there for you in six, seven years. With the greatest respect, that's not a place you go and spend the peak of your career. Get yourself that championship move. Go and do well there for a couple of years. And Cyprus will always be there. Now, unless the bag of money is huge. If the bag of money is huge, then take the bag of money. Always take the biggest bag of money. No matter where it comes from, take the biggest bag. But don't waste your career in Cyprus, please. He is a fantastically talented player who has been far too good for the... League of Ireland. Uh, I don't know how Shamrock Rovers convinced him to stay for so long, but he is he is tremendous and um, would improve any of those three teams that he's been linked with in the championship: Stoke, Preston, or Nottingham Forest. Right, that'll do for today. Uh, a bit of a long one, but you know, hopefully you've had uh, you've had a nice time listening. Um, back tomorrow, like I said, we'll cover the Liverpool game for sure because that will go ahead. We'll hopefully be have having that Fulham. 
Spurs game to talk about as well. So I do think that'll be a decent game of football. And uh, aside from that, we'll we'll do 20, 20 players for 20 teams um, and obviously cover whatever gossip's out there tomorrow. So that'll be fun. Thank you, as always, to Guy Drinkle. Uh, thank you to Fox Hunt. And thank you to you, most importantly, for listening. I will see you tomorrow. Take care. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.